everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. Happy New Year. Um, We have a very special treat this morning. Um, uh, Our speaker this morning, uh, I I met him back in 2004. I had gotten my first full-time, full-time hours, full-time pay uh, job in the church. Um, You know, the church I was at before, when I got this job offer in Tallahassee, and I was praying through it. I asked my pastor back home, and he was like, what do you think about it? I was like, you know, I'm just praying about it. I just want to make a wise decision. He's like, you can pray all you want, but we're giving you barely more than Starbucks gift cards. You need to go take that job, son. Uh, so, so I get there, and during the process, I'm hanging out at the pastor's church, and one of the uh, ministers that was doing athletic outreach at the time, he was there. And I knew we were going to be fast friends, you know, when I meet him and you know, the first question he asked, it wasn't, you know, what is your discipleship philosophy? You know, he didn't ask me some deep, you know, thing about my eschatology. Uh, you know, he didn't ask me about where I saw myself in five years. He said, who are the top three greatest rappers alive? And I was like, I love this man. I love this man. And um, uh, Adrian Crawford, Pastor Adrian Crawford, who pastors Engage Church, Tallahassee. Shout out to Engage um, he has been uh, one of my closest, dearest brothers and friends ever since then. And, and we've walked through lots of different seasons. Uh, many of you know about when our daughter passed away. Our daughter, Aria, passed away several years ago. He was on a plane. He was standing with us. He, he was one of the first people to come and show support. And we started talking about playing this church. And he is a member. He's part of our board for City of Lights. And, and whenever I think about my brother... I think about Proverbs 20, verse 6. It says, many confess, many profess an undying love, but a faithful man who can find. And I'm so grateful to be able to find such a faithful friend and brother in Pastor Adrian Crawford. So can we show him a great City of Lights welcome this morning as he brings the word? Come on. All right. Good morning, everyone. You guys good? All right. Well, I am coming from the great state, if you heard Trish said, from the great state of Florida, capital, Tallahassee, the Florida State University uh, is where I went to school. And again, normally I'd be real hype about that, but our football team was god awful this year. So I got to kind of keep down the low, Um, you know, but we're rebuilding. All right. We're in our wilderness season right now. Okay. So hopefully things will change soon. But um, here's what I want to do, though. Um, I've been preaching the Bible. I've been a Christian now for 20 years. I've been preaching the Bible for a little bit of time. Um, and one of the things that I remember hearing very early on in my faith was this. I remember I was in Axie and uh, I was in Johannesburg, South Africa. And I heard a pastor say this. And I asked him because every time I had heard him speak, it's just things would happen. People would just get impacted. And I was like, man, how in the world do you do this? And he, and he, and he looked at me. He's like, Adrian, he's like, from the time I started preaching the Bible, I just have always believed that when the word of God is preached, life change will happen. And from that moment, him saying that, it has stuck with me 
ever since. And here's what I want to say to you, City of Lights. I believe that when the Word of God is preached, life change will happen. I believe for some of you today, the trajectory of your life will change forever. Not because it's with the words of a man, but it's with the powerful God. And His Word is active, His Word is alive, and His Word has relevance for us right now in 2019. And so here's what I want to do. I want us to build faith in this moment because I believe that when we come with expectation, God shows up in a powerful way. And so again, maybe in 2019, you don't have any expectation for God to show up, so maybe I'm the only one's going to have faith today, but that's cool. So I'll get everything out of this. All right. So I'll preach to myself. So anyway, I'm going to pray for us and we're going to get to work today. So Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you for this incredible church. I thank you for this incredible uh, pastors and lead group here. God, help us, help us, help us, help us. God, I believe your presence is here today and you're going to move in a mighty way. It's in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen. The title of my sermon today is this, New Year, New Me. Now, everybody says that, right? Like, New Year, New Me. See, I'm a son of a college basketball coach. My dad was a Division I basketball coach for 30 years. And so I'll never forget, I can't remember, I maybe was like 10 or 11 years old. My dad was the head coach at the University of Akron. And we were driving. It was, a Christmas, it was a New Year's Day. And so we're driving. We're going to practice. One of my favorite times actually going to practice with my father. And so we're on our way to practice. And my dad is just in the car. And then he just impromptu told him, say, Adrian, I have a new, he's like, I have a resolution this year. And I'm like, okay, dad, what's your resolution? He's like, I'm going to not yell as much with my players. I'm not going to cuss. I'm not going to do that. Now, again, you have to understand, if you know anything about basketball, my father comes from the coaching tree of Bob Huggins. If you know anything about Coach Huggins, Coach of West Virginia, let's just say that that language is a thing, okay? You know, I, I mean, I remember hearing words when I was, like, real young. I'm like, what does that mean, you know? And so, um, but that's what my father So my father was a very fiery individual, whatever. So anyway, this is what he said. And so inside, I looked at him in that moment, right? My dad's, like, sharing this, you know, his father-son moment, and I laugh. I was like, yeah, right. I'm like, there's no way. Like, there is no shot. Matter of fact, I bet you dinner that you won't last today. And my father was like, that's a bet. Watch this. Okay. So all of a sudden, so we go to practice. And this is, and now guys, I am not over-exaggerating. This is not like me trying to embellish to make the story work. This is a true story. They're in the practice. They are just warming up. They're warming up. Two minutes into practice. Two because at a clock, it's two minutes into practice. All of a sudden, I'm on top because there's a track, and I was just sitting up there, and I'm watching something, like, he's going to explode at some point. Because I could even tell. Because, you know, you come back after, you know, it was, new, it was New Year's Day, New Year's Eve. They didn't practice the night before, so of course they all went out. So this practice was going to be awful. I'm like, I'm like, this is the easiest bet I've ever made in my life, right? And so all of a sudden, two minutes into practice, my father, I see him. I'm like, oh, it's about to happen. Like, I'm over there, and I'm just waiting, too. I'm like amping it up. I'm not even a Jesus follower at that time, but I was praying. Like, God, please let him explode. Please let him explode, right? And so all of a sudden, my father goes over to the table. He's, he's pacing, he's pacing. Next thing you know, my father, boom, kicks the table and just goes on this tirade for like five minutes. And I was like, there is a God, and he is real. And here's the best part of it. Right at the end of my father's just unbelievable, just, just tearing his team down. He finishes, and the right where he finishes, he just happens to turn, and he makes eye contact with me. And me being the loving, kind son that I am, and my father in this hard moment, 
I fell on the floor laughing so hard. <laughs> and let's just say that uh, I won that bet, and it was a great meal that we went to. And so here's the reason why I tell you that story. It's because my father had, he really did, had all the intentions to really want to change. Every year I have new intentions that I want to change. But I never forget what I've heard one time by Pastor Andy Stanley. Is that intentions get you nowhere, only direction. That everybody has intentions to lose weight. Everybody has intentions to save money. Everyone has intentions for your marriage to be better. Everyone has the intentions to man to uh, spend more time with our children, to be more um, attentive and to spend time in the word of God, to serve and to do all the stuff that we start off with real good intentions. But at the end of the year, and we make those statements, that mantra, new year, new me, but at the end of the year, we're the same person. Because here's what I've come to realize over the time is that you can want and desire all these things, but if there's not real attention to where you're trying to go, then you'll never get there. That you'll never, ever get there. And most of the time, the things that we are trying to change are many times external things, right? And there's nothing wrong with external things wanting to change. Wanting to lose weight, wanting to uh, save money, wanting to spend better time. Not, you, you know, you want to, man, I'm going to spend more time with God and not binge watch, you know, not watch, you know, Bird Box 45 times, right? I mean, you want to try to do more and more things, but what ends up happening, we focus so much on the external. And here's what we do. We focus on that for us in this room as Jesus followers. We focus on the external. Man, I want to, man, watch what I'm saying this year. Man, I want to be kind. I don't want to struggle with these addictions. We deal with all the external things, but very few times do we start the new year and do we actually say this. This year in 2019, I actually want my emotions to come underneath the gospel. Because let me tell you this. Every ill that's ever happened in your life and in this world started with a broken emotion. Everything that we see, the wars, the racism, the tragedies that we look on the news, it all started with a broken, damaged emotion. And very few times do we actually try to deal with the inside. We just say if we have stricter laws, if I just say if I just discipline myself and get on the right meal plan, then all of a sudden everything in the world is going to work out. But let me tell you this, our overeating, our overspending, our lack of time with Jesus, the way we talk to our children that we don't like, uh, the way we interact with our friends, the, the things that we watch and we shouldn't watch, all those things all start with a damaged, broken emotion. And what I hope to help you do today in starting 2019 is that at the end of 2019, you can honestly say it was a new year and there's a better me. That I took steps closer to Jesus. But in order to do that, we must see and we must understand that our spiritual maturity and our emotional health are inseparable. As the great Peter Scazzaro said, that our emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look in the Bible, and actually, here's what's amazing. God actually teaches us at the beginning of the Bible of how to deal with our broken emotions so we can actually have 
a new us. And so I'm hopefully going to teach you something new today. And so if you have a Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis 4. Genesis 4, I'll be reading from New Living Translation, starting in verse number 3. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked. Why do you look so dejected? You'll be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. And we'll just stop right there. No, let's keep going. We'll keep going. And one day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. This is the word of the Lord. I was reading not too long ago one of my favorite communicators, one of my favorite people in the faith and a hero of mine, Pastor Tim Keller. And I was reading on his kind of commentary and his thoughts on this whole story. And he began to talk about this idea of Genesis, the word Genesis and genetics and genes and how they're the same word. And, and what he began to go into is that he talked about how our genetics, our genes, everything that's within us, that everything that we're doing now, you as an adult or as a child, are now just playing out to the world. Our DNA, what's inside of us, just plays out to the world. Whether if it's from your eye color to how tall you are, all those things, it just begins to play out into the world. And what he begins to say is this, is that in Genesis, that the first few chapters of Genesis, all it is is showing what the world's DNA actually is. And the rest of the Bible is just it playing out. The rest of human history is just playing out the genetics of the world that we read in the first few chapters of the Bible. That is why I love the first few chapters of Genesis. That's why many times our church gets sick of it, because I usually preach from there or Nehemiah. That's really it, okay? And so they're like, dude, go somewhere else. There's other parts of the Bible, right? But I believe that in the Scripture, you see everything that you need to know of how to deal with life in the world and what's wrong with the world and how the world's going to be better, all in the first few chapters of Genesis. See, you see in the beginning of the world, you see that God creates and he makes. That the, the Lord goes and he makes and he gives and he makes two humans. And he says, go into the world and subdue the world. He uses this word subdue. It's a violent word. It means to take control, to tame something wild and make something of it. He says, human beings are called to be my vice regents, to rule as kings and queens on the earth, to go and to make something of this culture I have given you. Go represent me. And he shows that, and that was the call of all humanity. But we also know Genesis 3 happens. In the Bible, Genesis 3, our first parents disobeyed God. Now sin entered the world. So all the stuff we see, all the tragedy, all the pain, it is because of results of sin. And not only from our first parents, but it's now in our DNA that we are born into sin. And so now we just continue this process. But what we also see is this. We see how we should go forth in the world, but also what we just read in Genesis 4, God actually gives us a moment, a glimpse into how to deal with emotions. See, when we think of the Bible 
and we think of sin, many times, if, you were, if you're like me, we just think of all the outside stuff, right? We think of all the big sins. You know, don't look at this stuff, don't go there. I mean, all the stuff on the external. And we think about our bodies as being fallen because the scriptures say that, man, if you sin, surely you will die. But very few times do we actually think about not only are our bodies physically fallen, the world's fallen, but we don't think that our actual emotions are actually fallen too. Do you understand that God has given you emotions? That emotions are not just something we just came up with, right? Like just some one day, somebody's like, you know what? I feel some type of way today, all right? It wasn't when Drake just decided to make up a song in my feelings and all of a sudden, like, man, you know what? Feelings are a real thing. No, God gave us feelings and he gave us emotions. And so since God actually gave us those things, they actually are good things. Here's the reason why. Because in the beginning, it said God created everything and he said everything was good. But what we have to understand is that sin entered the world and now sin has broken things. And so just as our bodies and the world we see as damaged, our emotions are damaged. And many times we're taught that, no, 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 don't feel, don't feel. If you're a part of two camps, pretty much, when it comes to feelings. If you grew up, like my father's generation, they had none. Like, they had none. I mean, some of you are in that camp right now, you're like, yeah, I don't feel. What is that feelings? What is that you speak of? The generation that's coming behind us, millennials, I love you guys to death. I have a church full of them. We have a church that has grown so fast, and they're full of millennials. And here's where I say I love them. I think they're one of the greatest generations. But here's one thing about your generation. I call it the Drake generation. Because everything is about how you feel. And see, what you have are these two polar opposites. Either it's everything's about your feelings and just, if I feel, I just do. And how many of you guys know that's just not always good, right? Because when I'm in traffic, I feel some type of way that's not very pastoral, and I cannot act on that. On the other side, some of you say, I don't, I don't feel anything. That's the way you should be. No, no, no. Many times we don't feel which keeps us distant in a lot of relationships. But right here, we see the first murder, and most times when pastors get up here and preach this, they talk about the sin that's crouching at the door, but they never talk about why was sin crouching at the door. See, at the beginning, we see Cain and Abel, and here's what happens. So the story is pretty simple, is that Cain and Abel, they're two brothers, and all of a sudden, they bring an offering to God. And so they bring an offering to God, one's accepted, one wasn't, okay? So I'm really just generalizing this. You can go read the commentaries later for it, okay? And so he, he, all of a sudden, that they have these two offerings, one's accepted, one was not. And all of a sudden, it says this. It said, Cain felt some type of way. It said Cain was dejected, he was mad, and Cain was depressed. Anxiety and depression is not all of a sudden this new thing because we've become now more progressive and understand. Listen, we see depression all throughout the Bible. You don't believe me? Read Psalms. It is the writings of a manic depressant. Sometimes I'm like, yo, this dude is literally a schizophrenic. Read David's writing. God, why have you forsaken me? And at the end of the same song, but I trust in you and you're there for me. You're like, yo, what just happened? The point is that we see right there, we see emotions and feelings, and we see this idea of depression, and we see anger right in that moment. And here's what happened. 
all of a sudden, God comes down and Cain is feeling some type of way and God steps into the role because here's what God understood and here's what we must understand. Every human being, we all have emotional IEDs, emotional improvised explosive devices. If you know anything about an IED, it's one of the things that was the, one of the biggest killers of American soldiers in the beginning of our fight in Afghanistan and Iraq. They are just hidden devices that people hide in animals, they hide in cars, and what happens, you go by, they detonate and they blow everything up. And here's what I realized. All of us have emotional improvised explosive devices, something that will blow your life up. And if you're in here saying, I don't have that, you have a lot of them then. (laughs) When I do marriage counseling with people, you know what I'm trying to do? This is all, this is my whole goal. My whole goal is this. Let's find out what your IDs are so you both know so when you step on it and it blows up, you're like, oh, yeah, 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 we talked about that, right? <laughs> we got to defuse that. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, that's, a, that's what we try to do. But we all have them. We all have those emotions. We all have those feelings right now. You, listen, your emotions have all changed about 50 times before you ever got to church today. If you have children, it changed in 30 minutes, right? You woke up probably this morning, man, new year, going to church, I feel good. And all of a sudden, one of your children woke up with a bad attitude, which in turn puts you in a bad mood. And now you're coming to church, man, we got to get right, man, we got to go to worship. And you know what? We're always late. And you're always late. You talk to your spouse, you're always late. It's your fault, just like your father. And then so all of a sudden, you're like, yo, what happened? So then we get into all these issues. And now all of a sudden, we come to church, we were happy, we're sad, we're mad, we're angry, we have shame now. I mean, all these emotions have happened all, and it's only 10-something in the morning, right? And here's what we do, though, guys. We never, ever stop to ask ourselves, why am I feeling this way? We just go. As my therapist tells me, emotional pain It's just screaming that that something's going on in your soul. Just like in your physical body, if you had pain in your knee, you would go to a doctor to get it checked out. But many times we have emotional pain, we never get our souls checked out. We just keep going with it. But what we see is God steps out of, and he comes down and he talks to Cain. And here's two things that we're going to see. In order for us in this new year, new me, to be all that God's called us to be, to deal with our emotions, we're going to have to do two things. We're going to have to learn how to detect the IEDs, and we're going to have to learn how to disarm them. The first thing is this. You must be willing to detect. And here's how you have to detect. What does God say? He shows up to Cain, and can you imagine again, if God was really like a fundamentalist, right, who some think he is, is that if he really was a fundamentalist, he would have came down and said, Cain, stop being mad. Don't be depressed. Do you not know that I'm God? Do you not see all the blessings in your life, Cain? I could have killed you and your family started all over again. Don't be mad, Cain. Stop it now. God doesn't even say that. He shows up to Cain, and here's the number one thing when it comes to detecting your IEDs in your life. He asks Cain, why are you mad? Why are you depressed? See, this is completely opposite of what I thought early on Jesus was about, that God was about. That all of a sudden Cain is feeling some type of way about an offering. 
about this offering getting rejected, a biblical, a godly thing, he's feeling some type of way. And God does not come out of heaven to rebuke him. He comes out of heaven. He sits there and he says this to them, why? Because what he was trying to teach Cain was this. Again, we talk about Genesis, the genetics of how to deal with emotions, is that the way that you begin to become emotionally healthy, to begin to change from the inside out, is that you must be willing to ask the question, why? You must be willing to be curious and compassionate about your emotions and your feelings. And many times we're not. We just plow through it. We just keep going. And all of a sudden, we're just like, well, why am I mad? Why am I upset? What's going on with me? And then what we'll say, we'll just come up with something. Instead of digging deeper, and let me tell you this, normally what you feel at the beginning is really not how you feel. All of a sudden, it's really not the reason, because you know what you'll say, huh? Well, stinking wife, man. She just get it together, man. You know, she's always late, and so I'm mad now. No, no, no. Go three levels deeper. It's bigger than that. That's the rule of thumb I learned very early on trying to become emotionally healthy. Because how I felt was never how I really felt. It was never really the reason. It was always deeper. And so I want you to think about this for a moment. I want you to think about the moments that you had shame or pain or fear. Right now there's probably thoughts that are popping up in your head about it. Ask yourself why. Why when your significant other challenges you to get better at something, you become incredibly defensive? Why all of a sudden do now, or maybe you run into a hole and you run See, these are the real things. See, if we don't begin to do this, here's what happens. We begin to go through life, and we begin to continue to have just broken, damaged emotions. Parents in this room, I want you to know, I was talking to a leading child therapist, and I asked him, what are the things you deal with the most in kids? And here's his words, one of the leading child therapists in the world. 90% of what I deal with is unraveling kids from their parents' anxieties. That's one of the biggest things I deal with with my children. And why this emotional health thing matters to me, because when I'm parenting my kids, because why? When they don't do what I think they should do, it's a reflection on me, which in turn means I'm bad, which it goes in. So now I parent now out of fear, and I don't parent them out of faith. Now all of a sudden it's like, oh no, when my son leaves a towel on the bathroom floor for the 45th time this week, it now all of a sudden I explode. And I'm like, that's the problem. You're going to be a felon. You're going to jail because the towel's on the floor. You're disobedient. That's a rebellious spirit right there. You don't want to listen. And all of it is not because I really care about the tile on the floor, but I really care deep inside what this speaks about me as a parent. Because what if he does turn out? What if he does have this? What is people going to say about me? Some of you push your children right now, not because it's what they want to do. It's because it's what you want to do, and you didn't achieve it. I'll take a step back. See, these things matter. 
And guys, I talk to you this because this is a real thing in my own soul. See, I'm a guy who I got saved and born again in the charismatic movement. I believe in signs. I believe, I still believe in signs, wonders, miracles, healings, all those things. But I found myself then praying, being filled with the Holy Spirit, the whole deal, praying for me to get free and delivered from depression. But it never left. And early on, I wrestled so much. I don't have enough faith. Something's wrong with me. I'm not even saved. Because if I was saved, then I wouldn't struggle with this. And I finally met someone who's one of my elders now who I'll forever be grateful for because he began to teach me. He's like, listen, God may never deliver you of this, but what I can tell you is this, is that God wants you to walk in victory and I'm gonna teach you how to do it. And over a five-year period, that's what happened. That if that man was in my life, I'll be very honest with you, there probably would have been a gun in my mouth I would have blew my brains out. But here's what he talked to me. He began to teach me how to say and to ask the question, why? See, remember I said at the beginning of the Bible, right? And we're going to keep moving. But at the beginning of the Bible, God puts the whole thing, the genetics of the world. You ever wonder this question, why, when God shows up to Adam and Eve, he asks the question, where are you? See, that trips me out sometimes. Because I believe, you know, and, and my, my, the, the guy who helped me, I asked, he asked me this question. like, why did God say that? And I'm like, uh, I, I'm like, I preached the Bible. I felt so embarrassed, too. I'm like, uh, I don't know. I mean, I love Genesis. I love the first year after. I didn't know. I had no answer for him. And all of a sudden, he begins to unpack this. He's like, Adrian, God knew where they were at. Here's the question. He says, where are you? Because he wasn't asking them for their location. It wasn't like he's like, oh, man, I don't have ways or I don't have a GPS. I can't find them. I don't know where they're at. Where are you at? It's the greatest game of hide and go seek. Where are you at, Adam and Eve? It wasn't that. He wanted them to answer this question. Where are you? Meaning this, Adam and Eve, do you know where you are at now because of what you have done? And he looked at me and said this, here's your problem. You have no idea where you're at. You say the right things, you do the right things, you go to church, you do all the stuff, you read your Bible, but at the end of the day, your heart is so far from God because you're never telling where you really are. Do you understand that God already knows that you're pissed off at him? <laughs> Some of you, that was like the greatest revelation for you in 2019. You're like, oh my gosh, he does. Yes, he already knows. You know why he wants to know? Do you know where you're at? Because he wants you to become self-aware. Because you can never move forward unless you actually know where your current position is. And here's what he told me, and here's what I had to start doing, and here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. I had to start my mornings off not telling God and thanking him for all the things which I was taught as a good, strong, charismatic man. You thank God when you wake up in the morning. You give him all the praises. You quote scripture over your life, the favor, the blessing, all those things. Like, no, no, no. I want you to tell God where you're really at, and I want you to be real honest with him. Don't give him the PR. Don't give him the political talking points, Sue. Give him what you really feel. And let me tell you this, that one simple thing for six months changed my life because I did not realize how distant my emotions were from God. 
I didn't realize how frustrated I was at him, how frustrated I was at other people, because at the end of the day, I just kept going, 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 and going, doing the good Christian stuff. And I want you to know in this place, in 2019, here's what God wants to say to you. Stop doing the Christian religious stuff because you think it's going to get you access into heaven. You already have everything you need. You already have access, not because of your behavior, but because of Jesus' behavior. And his behavior has now been given to you. You're now righteous because why? He He's the only one that's righteous. And we still try to behave our way to him instead of living out of a purity of saying, no, I love you. I care for you. Now I will behave this way because I love you, not trying to get your love. He already loves you enough. And I want you to know in 2019, it's this, as you're moving forward, that God wants you to be real with him. When we read Psalms and we quote David, why was David a man after God's own heart? It never really says it. Why he was a man, it says David was a man after God's own heart. I truly believe it was this. It's because he actually was honest with God. He was honest with him. I mean, read his writings. I mean, the dude was writing hymns about people dying. That I want their generations, not just them, but their kids' kids to die. But at the end of the song, which we aren't going to sing up here, right? Can you imagine that? Oh, Jesus, let their offspring die. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we're not singing that, right? <laughs> and you guys don't want to hear my vocals anymore, okay? I know, I know, I know. But here's where we go. Moving forward, I got to focus. Now, but at the end of Psalms, you know what David did? He started with where he was at, and he worked his way to seal through this. God, I'm here, but vengeance is in your hands. I trust you. So many times, some of you don't work your way through the process is because you start at the end quoting, God, I trust you, I trust you, I trust you. But really deep inside, you don't. And God's okay with you saying, God, I don't. But would you please help me? Would you please help my unbelief? See, that is the problem today. When you want to know why I believe in times God does not move in certain places, it's not because he doesn't want to move. He's actually looking for people who are willing to be honest and transparent. This is who I am. This is where I'm at. This is how I have to change. And I am broken, but I trust in a God who's so good that he'll change me. And though I may not be in in 2018, I struggle. In 2019, man, I'm not fully there, but man, I'm farther along. I got way more wins than losses. That's when it changes. But you have to detect, and here's how. You have to be curious and compassionate. You have to ask yourself, how I feel this way. And you have to become compassionate to yourself. You can't judge yourself because you, all of a sudden you start feeling, you know, I'm angry. And what do we do? Oh, God, I'm angry. And then what do we normally do? If you're a good Christian person in this room, you begin to judge yourself because you're angry. And what does that create? Shame. And then what happens when you have shame? Shame creates more shame. And it creates more shame. Shame is the gift that keeps on giving. I've officially said shame is like emotional herpes. It just doesn't go away. Some of you are like, oh, shoot. Man, like, yeah, yes, it's that bad. <laughs> it's that bad. So you have to be curious and compassionate. You have to be willing to be curious about how you feel, but being compassionate to yourself, not to judge yourself because of your feelings. And see, here's the other thing you have to do is that you have to disarm. See, God goes on and he says this to Cain. He says that Cain, listen, sin's crouching at your door, but here's the next thing, Cain, but I want you to subdue it. 
He says, Cain, I just don't want you to stay in your emotional place, Cain, but I actually want you to detect it, and I want you not to disarm it, Cain. Don't stay here, because if you do not disarm, sin is at your door. What God was telling Cain and teaching him, it wasn't the fact that anger was the sin or being depressed was the sin. It was what was the results, the fruit of your anger, the fruit of your depression is what's going to be the sin. And he's saying it's at your door. It doesn't have to come in your house, but you're going to have to deal with your emotion. And most of us do what? We preach this text and we'll say, oh man, it's, it's sin. And we start dealing with all that externals. And God will say, no, no, no. You need to deal with the internal first. Because if you deal with the internal and you allow your emotions to come underneath the lordship of Christ, then you will never get to that place of sin coming into your house. You have to disarm it. And how do you do it? He says, he uses that same language. Remember, everything at the Bible at the beginning is all there. He uses this language of this, subdue. Remember, it's the first thing that God calls Adam and Eve to do. Go into the world and subdue it, to take something wild and tame it. How many of you guys know our emotions sometimes are really wild? That you don't even understand them sometimes. And what does God say? Take them and subdue them. Tame them control them. Now, how do we do that? See, the way that we begin to subdue is simply this. What we talked about being able to detect it first, but the next thing is this. It's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. He says, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. One of the greatest ways that you begin to subdue it is to begin to take thoughts captive. It's to begin to recognize that emotion when you feel some type of way. And emotions come in all different types of ways. In a way that, man, in your political affiliation in life, all of a sudden you see somebody with an opposite political affiliation with you, one of your friends, they post something about Donald Trump or some of your friends post something about Bernie Sanders and you feel some type of way. And instead of asking yourself, instead of just saying, they're the enemy and let me now just debate them on Facebook because that's the greatest breeding ground ever for civil conversation, right? And so let's go do that. No, you begin to say, man, why do I feel this way? And when you begin to think a negative thought about your brother, say, whoa, 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 hold up. No, 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 let me think the best. I need to have a conversation with him. Instead of just going, or when your spouse says something, instead of all of a sudden now you just losing your mind because, you know, that's, uh, again, there you go. It's your bad attitude. It's this, it's this. Stop. And realize, you know, hold up. This made me feel some type of way. Why did what she say make me feel this way? Then those thoughts of saying you should walk out, those thoughts of saying you should scream back, those thoughts of just now thinking in a negative manner toward her, here's what you do you begin to think differently and you begin to now speak life. But you have to take every thought. And what do they say? They use that same word. Look what do they use? Captive. Just like subdue is a violent word, taking something captive is a violent word. You have to take your thoughts captive. You have to put them underneath the lordship of Christ even though you do not feel like it. And here's what I'm going to tell you as I close. This is a real thing for me, guys. And here's the reason why. When I preach the Bible, when I communicate things, I try not to just preach things that I haven't lived or had to go through. And this is a real thing for me. I don't talk to you about emotional health in a theory. I talk to you about it in a real, practical way because it's been real for me. And in 2017, 
it became real for me. Going into 2017 in December, just like everyone, new year, new me. God gave me a word. Gave me a word and this idea of faith. That I'm getting ready to do something. Faith and faith. And that's the word I kept getting. So me being back to my, you know, I reached deep back to my charismatic roots. And I was like, oh man, this is the season of blessing and favor then, right? So I'm like, I'm about to start praying for everything. I'm throwing stuff out there just to throw it out there. We'll see what's going to happen. Because God, it is a season for him to bless what I'm doing. He is His faith is going to move. He's increasing faith. And man, it's shaking, pressed down. I mean, I'm taking scripture all out of context and, and making it work around this. Man, he can give me everything. God, I'm going to dunk again in the name of Jesus. Like, I mean, I'm just quoting stuff and I'm doing all that. And here's what, in greater faith. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going into 2017, and here's what happens in 2017. I'm going to try to sum up 2017 pretty quick to you, but this is a real thing. In 2017, I found out some earth-shattering news about my family growing up that I never thought, or I kind of felt was true when I was a kid, but found out it was true. I mean, earth-shattering. I don't want to get into it uh, for the sake of to protect people, but it's earth-shattering news. Not too long after that, my grandfather, who was a, my grandfather, who was a preacher for 50 years, pastored three churches, passed away. A man who I stand on the shoulders of great men of faith. I didn't grow up going to church, but man, my family line, there's a a line of pastors and preachers. So I buried my grandfather standing here in his coffin with his American flag and his Bible as we put him in the ground. 88 years old. Really loved Jesus. Then I fast forward to July, and this all happened in six weeks. We're on family vacation. It's the first one that Wendy and I and our whole family went to, our three kids, her parents. We go on this family vacation. We go to Jamaica. My wife is Chinese Jamaican. So we go back to Jamaica. And so we're there in Jamaica, and all of a sudden, first day is great. Second day, all of a sudden, we're by the pool. We get a, we get a phone call from the front desk. Hey, you need to go back. So, uh, there's an accident that happens. So we go back um, to, the, um, to the room. And, and, and but my wife was kind of, we were in separate places, and she texts me. And so she's going. All of a sudden, I see her. She starts sprinting and running. And I'm like, okay, that's not good. So I run, and I get behind her. And all of a sudden, we come around the corner. And when you come around the corner, you know those moments when you come around the corner, and you see everyone's faces. You're like, okay, this is not good. We come around the corner um, to find out that my father-in-law, um, outside of the door, um, dropped dead. But not dropped dead, but dropped of a, of a heart attack. No pulse, no nothing. And he's in the ambulance on the way to go. My father-in-law flatlined for 11 minutes. And I'm driving to the hospital with my mother-in-law, and there's part of my brain, you talk about emotional health, there's part of my emotions are screaming because I'm like, what in the world am I going to say to her if we get there and he's dead? What am I going to say to my, what am I going to say to my, my, my children that, that Poppy is dead? Like, what am I going to say? What am I going to say in this moment? But then there's the leader part of me that's saying, I have to lead right now. We get to the hospital and miraculously he comes back to life. Three days later, he's back on vacation with us. We get to the end of our vacation, and a man who, a disciple, really good friend, last part of vacation, wife calls me and says, hey, he's had an affair. Leave there, come back to Tallahassee. 
week later, I'm in Orlando, Florida. Beginning of our Every Nation conference, I get a phone call. I have to step out. One of my dear friends calls me and says, hey, man. And he talks about one of our friends. He's like, hey, he's about to be arrested tonight. Now, the guy who he's saying was arrested was a guy who preached in my church two weeks prior. For what? He's, gotten, he's going to be arrested for child molestation. So now I go to a point of my heart breaking and all these things to the fact that I have to leave because now, you know what? There's a guy who preached in my church two weeks later that we would come to find out molested over 75 children. And you talk about emotional health and the gospel and all this stuff. Have to go back to a church, a city. This guy was the guy who did it was really the one, the founder of youth ministry in our city. And I'm talking about we had a packed church, multiple services. People wouldn't know what I had to say. And I had to stand in front of a stage of people, even though I had no desire to do it and to lead, but to feel the pain. Two days before I have to make this announcement, a young man who used to come to the gym, I used to own a business I sold, used to come to our gym, a young 16-year-old African-American boy. Loved him dearly. Mom finds him in the closet. He hung himself. All this is in within, and there's a few other things I won't get into, all within six weeks. See, I went into the new year thinking God was building greater faith. That means that God was going to do it this way. God actually built greater faith in me. He actually increased faith but he had to deepen me in order to do it. And let me tell you this. If I didn't understand this part, guys, I would not be in ministry anymore. I would have walked away. And so I talked to you about this new you, new me, and emotional health as somebody who had to live it. And it was super difficult, and it was hard. And there were moments where I laid in my bed, and I just cried to God. And I said, what is wrong with you? Why do you allow this stuff to happen? Why is this going on? I questioned so many things. But in the end of doing that, what I kept hearing is just God's spirit that I am good. I am good. I am good. And I am doing something. Even though I did not cause any of these things, Adrian, I am doing something. And let me tell you this. I would never want to go back to 2017, but I am forever grateful for it because it changed me as a man. I'm not promising you 2019 is going to be the year of blessing and favor. Matter of fact, for some of you, 2019 is about to be probably hell on earth for you. But what I can promise you this is that the same God who is there with you on the mountaintop is the same God who's there in the valley. That that God does not change. That he does not change. And here's the reason why. The reason why he'll never leave you or forsake you is because on the cross, Jesus, all the sin of the world came against him. And the hardest part for Jesus is when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God turned his back on Jesus so he never would turn his back on us again. 
And so when Jesus went to the cross, it was way, it was, yes, it brought us back in right relationship with God. But there was a man dying, a man feeling shame on the cross, the shame, the pain, the hurt, the loneliness you felt. Jesus felt that. It came against him, that abuse that happened, that person who walked out, that person that sinned against you. It came against Jesus on the cross. And here's what he did. It now hit him, but he now imputes to us righteousness. And now we are different. Now we can walk. And now God is for us. I want you to know, City of Lights, no matter what you are going through, God is with you. And in 2019, it'll be different. I'm not promising a year of favor and blessing the way you think. But I will promise you this, that if you're willing to detect your IDs and to disarm them at the 2019, it will be a new you. Maybe not the way you think it should be, but it'll be the way it should be because God's the one walking you through it. So here's what we're going to do now. We're going to pray. And if you're in this space and place, and you're saying, listen, by faith, I'm going to begin to walk in that. By faith, I'm going to take a stand and say, you know what? I'm going to become curious and compassionate about my emotions and feelings. By faith, you want to take a stand. You know what? I'm going to be honest with God this year for the first time in my life. Because if you're willing to do that, you'll be amazed at what God will do. Father God, I thank you for these incredible people while we're here in this attitude of prayer. If you're in this space and place and you're simply saying this, hey, I, mean, I fully don't know what all this means, but in this new year, I want to begin to put my emotions underneath the cross. I want to detect them. I want to disarm them. I want to do it. See, if that's you, I just want you, if you're able and if you're willing to stand to your feet so I can pray for you. Listen, I don't want to embarrass you in this space and place right now. But if that's you, I want you to stand your feet and by faith, you're saying, listen, I want, to, I want to deal with this this year. I want to detect and disarm my emotions this year. Some of you right now, I'm not here, some of you, God's going to do something amazing through you. And it's going to be painful. But he's with you. If you're able and willing, just open your hands. If you're standing, just open your hands in a sign of just receiving from God. Father, I pray for these incredible people that are standing and responding. God, here's where I just pray simply for them this year. That God, they'd be willing to be curious and compassionate. That God, just as you came down and spoke to Cain, you said, Cain, why? You didn't berate Cain. You didn't judge Cain in that moment. You were trying to help Cain to become curious so he wouldn't do that. God, I pray 2019. Though externally things may not go the way we think they should go, I pray 2019 for every person under the sound of my voice, God, that they would become more spiritually and emotionally healthy this year. That, God, they would deal with the pain. They would look back into those places they don't want to go to. But, God, I pray in this upcoming year that there will be health in their souls. And, Father God, I pray that we can stand at the end of 2019 and we truly can say, new year, new me. Father God, I pray for those in this room right now, filled by your spirit, who are struggling with depression, anxiety. I mean, really struggling with them. If that's you, I want you to lift your hands. I'm going to pray for you because for some of you, I believe God wants to heal you. For some of you, I believe God's going to heal you through the process of what you're going to walk through. That it's going to be an everyday thing you walk through. 
Father God, I pray right now for those who are struggling with anxiety and depression in space and place, God. God, if I've traveled around the country and praying and seeing people be healed of these things, I'm praying for healing right now. Some you want to heal, God, that you want to do an instantaneous healing inside of them, Lord God, to where, God, where those who've had voices that have stalked them at night, I mean, even over the last, even going into this new year, they have questioned, I mean, they were on the verge, God, of literally killing themselves, God. God, I pray right now that the voice that would echo in their heads, when that voice would come to end it, would be this, that I came to give you life and give it to you more abundantly, God. That they would understand that you came to give them fullness and give them life this year, God. We speak healing emotionally. We speak healing, Lord God, over the things, God. Even if there are things that are going on, God, biochemically, we speak healing right now in the name of Jesus, God. And God, for others, Lord God, who you may not instantaneously heal, God, we pray, though, that you would bring healing, you would bring a change in their lives and in their, in their things right now, God, as they would learn to walk through this process, Jesus. God, we just thank you. We thank you for healing. We thank you for what you're going to do. It's in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Can we give God a hand clap of praise for our good he is? I'm going to encourage you guys this year. Thank you so much for having me. And so now here's what's going to happen is I want to transition into something um, that I need to talk to you guys about today. Um, not only am I here to preach God's word to you, but here as a representative of your, of your board and elders. Um, six months ago, um, Pastor John, as a friend, reached out to me. And he reached out to me six months ago. And as he reached out to me six months ago, he um, said to me, he's like, hey, um, I want you to pray for me, pray for us. You know, Kelly and I have been going through some stuff, again, just trying to get on the same page, hit some rough patches, which, again, is normal. If anybody here has been married for any length of time, you know that's normal, especially when you have five children, okay? And so it's like trying to herd an entire community, okay, in their home. And, and so they did, and they were going to meet with the leader in our Every Nation world. They did a couple sessions, and then all of a sudden they were referred to somebody here to say, hey, I think you guys need to meet with somebody here, uh, a local therapist is here, and they did that. Around December, um, they reached back out to us and says, hey, you know, this is a lot deeper than we think it is, and we need some help. And so, which is what they should have done. That's the job of us as board and elders in this church, not just to approve budget. Anybody can do that. We care about the well-being, first and foremost, of, of your pastors, and we care about the well-being of this church. And so all of a sudden, they uh, reached out to us. And so as we jumped in and we begin to kind of now, as they reached out for help, they begin to jump in and ask for more help. And we would say, okay, let's look at this. And as we looked at it, what we began to realize is that there were some deeper things that were actually there within John and Kelly. To give you a little bit of history, that over the last seven years, it's been a real rough go for John and Kelly. Started off with the loss of a child. And I'll never forget that phone call. I'll never forget that to the day I die. The phone call from John, the death of a child that no parent ever, ever should have to bury their own kid, to the fact of moving to three different cities, to the fact of planning a church. Let me tell you this. I'm an entrepreneur. I've started businesses. I've sold them. I've planted a church. I would plant 10 businesses instead of planting a church. Planning a church is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Because the reason why planning a church is super hard, it's because is not only are you trying to lead and you're trying to, you're trying to survive, not only are you trying to survive, you're caring for the well-being of people. And many times it can get very lonely because you don't feel like you have anyone that you can talk to. Not because people aren't willing and able to talk to you, but it's like you carry certain things that people just don't understand. 
And so let me tell you the City of Lights that not only did you guys, did John and Kelly and their team plant a church, they plant a successful church. Amen. Let me tell you this. The average church in America never get over 80 people. The average church in America is 80 people. 80% of churches, 80% of churches in America are under 80 people. Only another 10% get over 200 people. And after that, it's, you become very rare air. The fact of the matter, if you look around this room and a little bit of time of what God has done here, you have planned a successful church. And that's credit to Pastor John and Kelly, your lead team here, and the grace of God. So I want you guys to know there's something really good that's happening here. But in going beyond that point, here's what I want you guys to know. My care and my love is for John and Kelly that at the end of their lives, they look at each other still deeply in love with one another and their kids still loving them and loving Jesus. And so as the elder board, what we started doing is we take a deeper dive into it. We realized that over these last seven years, John and Kelly being such faithful, hard workers, what they've done is dropped their heads and they just have worked and they've plowed and they've never had time to mourn. They've never had time to really deal with the trauma of all the stuff that's happened. And one of the things I missed to say, and probably one of the other bigger things is this, is not too long ago, Kelly's father passing away. And knowing Kelly's dad, he's a really good man. Like he really loved Jesus. Like I, I think about it, I'm like, man, at the end of my life, if I can love Jesus the way that that man loved Jesus, then I would, regardless of how much church girl that stuff, then I, I will be okay in life. But him losing his fight and someone so influential, that was a hard thing. And the thing is that, guys, there's never been room for them to have to do it. So as an elder body, what we've decided to do is this, is that for the next three months, we're going to put Kelly and John on like a healing sabbatical. And what that means is simply this, is that for three months, that they're going to get the help and the work that they need in their own souls. Matter of fact, today, Kelly's going to be on a plane. Yes, it is something to clap for because... Because let me tell you this, I've dealt on the other side of this stuff, guys. I've dealt with tragedy on the other side of this, where people didn't reach out. And it gets real ugly. And so they're going to get the work that they need. Matter of fact, today, I'm flying back to Tallahassee. Kelly's going to be on a plane, going on the same flight. And, um, and somebody who I believe is one of the best therapists in the nation um, is that she's going to be meeting with him tomorrow in the next few days, and John's going to come out and meet with him, then they're going to go back together uh, this month. And they're going to get a lot of work, and they're going to have people here that they're meeting with as well. And what we want to be able to do is give them space in order for them to be able to deal with things in their own souls. And this is just what happens. And so not only are we preaching this the idea of emotional health, new year, new me, we actually want to be able to live this. We actually want to live it. And so that's what we're doing. So what does that mean for City of Lights Church? Okay, some of you are like, man, what in the world is going to happen? Who's preaching? What's going on? Okay, so here's what happened. Part of it, you probably may see my face a little bit more. Some of you are like, oh, God, I'm never coming back then, all right? Um, but no, um, you'll see my face uh, some. It's going to be where we're going to, as far as f- fulfilling the pulpit, there are going to be so some different people who come in, some very incredible communicators, people who love John and Kelly, will be coming in over the next three months to be able to, to fill in here. Uh, myself, some of you guys heard Pastor Adam Mabry, who was here. Not so long ago, I love Adam. It's fun being on the board with Adam because we're completely opposite of the entire world, right? It's like, I don't know, it's like Gandalf and Frodo together. Um, and so, um, and, and, um, 
but you'll see us and a few other people be coming in. Um, I actually will be taking lead of kind of like the staff and the lead team here at City of Light. So matter of fact, we have a two and a half hour meeting. After this, I'll be on the phone with them every single week, uh, taking through their staff meetings and things like that and working with them. And, and I think that, and so that's how we're going to work there. And, and here's the thing, John and Kelly are going to get the room that they need. And so here's what I want to say to you, City of Light's church, is this, is that more than ever, that this church needs you. It needs you. It needs you to begin to help. It needs you to put your hands on deck. You may be wondering, man, am I supposed to be a part of this church? The voice of the Lord, yes, you are. (laughs) This church needs you because you have skills and gifts that can add to this church. Here's what I believe, and I truly believe this, that when John and Kelly come back, and our prayer as a board is simply this, is that when they come back, they have a continue a church that will continue to move healthier, bigger, bigger faith, all that. I take full responsibility in this situation coming forward. We want to, as a board, we want to take responsibility to see this thing move forward and to be even better. But let me tell you this, it has to be because we all have all hands on deck. We have a mantra at our church in Tallahassee, and it's simply this, it says, we all we got. And what we mean by that is this, is that every person has a part to play and every person's significant, and we have each other's back. I want to encourage you. We're a little bit farther along than you guys are here in Tallahassee. That over the last, coming up on six years next week, that God has taken us from 17 or 18 people in our living room to grow us to close to 1,000 people. And I was doing that when I had a full-time job, and I still do. I still don't do this full-time. And you know the reason why we were able to do that? It's because everybody put their hands on deck. And see, I actually believe this could be one of the greatest moments that you'll look back. You remember, and I'll, I'll end on this. You think about the boundary stone. You ever remember in the Bible, the boundary stone moments where God would tell them to mark this moment, right? Put a boundary stone there so you can remember. I believe this moment is going to be a boundary stone in the history of City of Lights where you say, man, in that moment, we all got better. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for Pastor John and Kelly right now. But I also want to challenge you this, that if you're here, if you haven't been to City 101, go. If you aren't volunteering, begin to serve. And I want to encourage you that through this process that you would commit to every week praying for your pastors. God's going to do something amazing. Can we do that? Amen? Can we do that? Well, Father, I thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you for Pastor John and and Kelly. God, I thank you for the gift they are. God, I am thankful first and foremost that they're just really good friends. God, they are. They're just really good friends. God, I pray that you would help them in this time. You would encourage them. You allow them, God, as they would begin to get the deeper work in their soul, to be honest and transparent, Lord God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would strengthen them. God, I pray for those five wonderful children, God. I pray your blessings upon them. I pray, Lord God, this would be a marking moment in their lives because they can look at mom and dad and say, mom and dad were honest. They didn't hide. They were honest. And when they went to be honest, that God, there would be a changing moment for them. Father God, I pray for this church body. I pray that God, at the end of three months, that we would look around God and we would say that we need more space because you've moved during this time. God, we love you. And God, I thank you for this, that God, you aren't you aren't shameful. 
you aren't angry with John and Kelly. There's nothing like that. But I actually, God, I feel your, ple- your, your pleasure and your presence because they're willing to be honest. So God, we pray that, Lord God, you would do only what you can do. We love you and we honor you. It's in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen. Can we give God a hand clap of praise? I really These are moments as we close. These are moments that are always real difficult because you never know where to do it at. You just never know. If I did it at the beginning of my sermon, then you guys would not pay any attention to me, okay? I'd be like Charlie Brown up here, you know, like you wouldn't have heard anything I said. Here's what I'm saying. Make sure you get signed up. I will be here for a little while afterwards. If you have any questions or anything like that, um, if you want any more details or things like that, please uh, come talk to me. Because, again, I know some of you guys are very, you know, a lot of you guys are committed here. And we want to be very transparent with you uh, through this process as John and Kelly are walking through. So if you have any questions, any concerns, but my encouragement to you is let's put our hands on deck and let's see what God can do. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. We will see you guys next week. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.